Hey, hey, everyone. Welcome to the Phil Drysdale Show. This week, we have uh, my good friend, Jared Nash, who I went to ministry school with about a decade ago. And uh, he's now studying for a doctorate in Pauline Studies at King's College in London. And so I'm looking forward to picking his brains all about the, uh, the scholarly world, the world of academia, um, and how uh, that has affected him and how he perceives uh, Christianity, God, uh, and all of that, and, and the unique differences that that brings into how we perceive these things. Um, and so let's get stuck into the chat with Jared. It's so good to have you, man. I, I'm so excited about this, like mostly just so we can um, laugh about crazy, uh, crazy times and crazy stories. Um, oh, the stories are there. Because the thing is, for me, you embody a lot of who I have become because I think of I think of my time we were together at Bethel and I think of you were like if there was an angel on my shoulder you were the devil. <laughs> that was not the that. direction I thought you were going to go. I say that with the best most um heartfelt warmth in my heart towards you for that because constantly we would just be chatting about theology and I would say something that was insanely ridiculous and you would immediately be like you should post that online <laughs> you should write a blog about that and I'm like dude that will get me in so much trouble and you're like, I know like you would always be the never ever I would turn around and go Jared maybe why don't you post it never Never did you ever say anything that was like ever sketchy, questionable, anything, but you always were giving me that little nudge. Um, so I, I think of you as like this, like this, um, this side of me that encourages out the, the most uh, devious, naughty side of me um, in the best of ways, because that was always fun. Always fun. It's true. You would come into my room with these half-baked status posts and you're like, what do you think? Yeah, knowing I that I would, <laughs> knowing that I would encourage you to do it, and it was like this, <laughs> this spiral. Yeah, you know, you always there's, there's types of people that go around all their friends asking their opinion until they get the answer they want. I didn't have to do that because in my house was you, and you would immediately give me the answer I wanted, which was, yeah, you should totally post a like. What? I was trying to think of one of my worst statuses was, um, which has done the most damage, the Left Behind Bible or the, uh, the left behind books or the satanic Bible. <laughs> and that one that, has never left my memory. Blew up. Like I had like 10 people on Facebook and I think I got like 800 like comments. <laughs> it was just insane. Um, but yeah, you were, yeah, you were definitely going, you were definitely, question. yeah, you were definitely going after eschatology at that point and just going, which <laughs> one has, da I, th I think you said, which one has damaged the church more? Yes. Oh, there you go. People don't it. like it. I love it. Well, why don't you um, uh, why don't you try and save yourself by giving yourself a bit of um, uh, an introduction for people that don't know who you are um, that otherwise will just know you as the devil on my shoulder. Um, so yeah, maybe a a different kind of bio would be a more palatable for most probably. That makes sense. Yeah. So after being the voice on your shoulder, um, I am a husband, and we'll get to that later about who my wife is and your role in that. Uh, I've got two kids, a four-year-old boy and a two-year-old girl. Um, I am a, a PhD candidate in um, New Testament Biblical Studies um, at King's College here in London. As you can tell with the accent, I'm not, I'm not British, uh, but I married uh, a Brit and we moved here so we could do my studies. Um, and that's a bit about me right now. Why did you choose to do studies in, was it, was it because Kezia is like from 
and around London, you were like, it's a cool place to go. It works. She's closer to home. Or was there a specific reason you chose King's College? Yeah. Um, interestingly, it was fully my idea. Uh, and she wanted to stay in the States first oh, wow. when I brought it up. It was me that was like, wait, we can move. And she was like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> Not ready for that yet. Um, so when I started looking at, at PhD programs, I, I figured out something kind of crazy. Um, the way the UK uh, and maybe Europe, but at least the UK and the States do PhDs is very different. Mm, okay. um, in the States, you have to start with, um, after your master's, a decent amount of uh, coursework where you're like actually going to, to classes and you've got professors and you're writing papers and you're doing you know exams and things. Um, and then after you do maybe a year, a year and a half, maybe even two years, to, depending on your pace of, of coursework, then you start your dissertation. Oh, wow. Um, and so PhDs in the States can tend to take a bit longer, whereas in the UK, they expect you to be um, further along in the content and your kind of familiarity with, with what's out there and your uh, research that you just go straight into your dissertation and it's yeah. a three year, it's basically a three year paper that you write. And I was like, that sounds way better, like yeah. absolutely way better. It took me yeah. five years to, to finish my, my MDIS. I was done with classes, you know, yeah. four years of an, un, of an undergrad, five years of a grad. I was like nine years of, um, of courses after high school. And I was like, let's just get straight to that dissertation. And so, yeah, it, it was a combo of that. Um, I like the way they do it here. And then honestly, just moving to the UK is kind of a dream. It's just awesome here. Yeah. I, I, I love it. And it helps to, that we also get to be with his family, um, get the kids to be with the, with the grandparents. It's a huge sure. plus. So, yeah. But the weather, not so much. Coming from California to England. This is why Nancy was like, no, I just <laughs> left there. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty major adjustment. I, yeah, I've lived in Texas and California. So it's basically oh, this dude. all warm, so not sunny climate. Yeah. Um, I've been, yeah, I've been putting my, my flannel closet to serious use here, just yeah. pulling it out basically like August to March. Yeah. Solid flannel. I hear you. Dude, so you went straight into, um, this fascinates me because I, I, it's something people ask me all the time is like, Phil, will you go like, into some sort of like more formal academic thing and part of me like dreams of getting to do what you do like I literally would like love to be able to do it because I get to do this to like the smallest degree but I'm constantly distracted by 110 different things and there's no yeah. actual formal recognition for any study I do whatsoever um, and part of me is like yeah, I'd yeah. love to just do that work on some sort of theory principle and, and walk away with this but is this something that um like, so for me, it's just like, it's how I beat, it's how I work, it's how I operate. Is this something that was how you've always operated, how you've always kind of ticked? You've always kind of been like, nah, I'm like an academic at heart. I like to look at things. I like to take things apart. I like to um, study things as, you know, as far as people study them and then keep going. Um, is that something that's been quite normal for you? Is that something that was kind of part of your upbringing or is that something you developed a, a passion for? Yeah, I'd say I have a mixed answer on that. Um, I'd say I've, I've always been um, excited and interested in theology and discussing, mm -hmm. you know, we used to do that for hours and I mean, we, st we started a whole group uh -huh. about that. And um, so, you know, 
I was at least inclined to it so much that I would join groups and would enjoy discussing theology, but I wasn't an academic, that's for sure. Mm. My grades in, in college were mediocre, in high school were mediocre, and it was fine, but I was not like, wow, some, you know, budding academic who's sure. you know, clearly a prodigy. It was like, it, it was never in my sight, but I think I found that I just kept wanting to know more. I kept wanting to go deeper. So I was like, all right, let me try this MDiv thing. And it uh, felt out of my league. I, I felt like, man, I haven't writ- written a paper in years because there was a gap between my undergrad and that. And I had no biblical education. I took an undergrad sure. in, liber- in liberal arts and like communications. It was completely unconnected. Uh, but I was like, let me just try this MDiv thing. And, you know, and then you just kind of learn to write academically a bit and you start to get... So- some of the you know the the language so to speak and um i found out i enjoyed it and then by the end of it i was like man i really like this and mm. uh the next step if i want to keep doing this is is a phd um and to kind of something you mentioned earlier one of my frustrations in my master's was that courses are like four months maybe th- three and a half and it's like we're going to look at you know, Christology and pneumatology for these four months and then, and, and um, read these five books and write these five papers and, you know, make sure you use 10 or 15 sources per paper. And, and you're like, and you're doing two other courses at the same time. And so you're like blazing through these topics that you could spend a lifetime researching. Yeah. And so you're writing a paper that's one inch deep, uh, just enough to give them their 10 sources. And then you have to move on to the next topic. And so it's like, all right, I've mastered pneumatology in four months and let's move on to the next thing. And I was, obviously that's the model they have to do to sure, give you a master's. Sure, they have to cover so, a broad sort of yeah, like range of things. No yeah. criticism there, but I, I, my constant frustration was like, I'd like to just stay on something for a little bit longer mm. and not have to move off it so quickly. Like I can see the depths available there. And a PhD is, you know, you're forced to go deeper than you ever thought you could or would even want to on a topic yeah. uh, to truly become an expert on something. Um, and so it's been, like you said, it's, it's a dream to be forced to only stay within a certain area and, and to have to, you know, read basically everything that's been ever written that's relevant to your topic and, or at least be familiar with it. Yeah. Um, it's just, it's, it's amazing. For some people that sounds like a nightmare. Um, sure. But I think I've just like, man, let me actually go deep on something. Mm-hmm. Um, but one point I, I would want to make is that I'm not a natural academic. And I would want to say that to people that, that think they're not a natural and that would mm-hmm. keep them away from it. Um, it's, it's just like, I would say the one thing you need is to be able to, to um, persevere in, in hard work. Uh, if you don't have a hard work ethic, then you can't do it. Um, you, know, you, you have to be able to grit your teeth yeah. and do 40 hour weeks of, of stuff. That's just like, even when you're really bored and you don't want to do it anymore, that's the thing that's tough. But I haven't, I don't think there's a natural academic gift that makes it to where you could or couldn't do a PhD. Mm. Now, there are some people that you come across like, dude, you're, you are, yeah, yeah it's like you're super smart um no, and that that's not me um yeah exactly uh, <laughs> so i i don't think it was natural for me but i maybe naturally like it 
Sure. So I guess this is something that fascinates me is, um, to me, one of the keys is, is just inquisitiveness, right? Wanting to learn, wanting to grow, wanting to expose yourself to new ideas, all these different things is like, it's such a core undergirded, like kind of element of academia. Like one of the things that uh, I grew up in a church kind of environment, multiple different types of churches and denominations that um, probably stood on the shoulders of academia, but didn't really know it did. Um, and also probably yeah. stood on the shoulders of 70, 80 years old stuff. Like the, 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 yep. I, and this is the thing that jumped out at me when I kind of started moving into the world of kind of like scholarly writing, scholarly exploration of whatever it is, you know, different uh, New Testament uh, theologies, you know, yeah. uh, I, I just even language and stuff, like some of the things that we're discovering and, and moving into. And you're like, wait, what? We, we just don't acknowledge anything that's happened in the last 50 years it's like well we do but no one's it's almost like it's this gap between people that can explain it really academically and then people that can explain it so someone actually understands it on the whole like there's this sure. like gap of decades where it kind of filters down bit by bit by bit by bit and until someone's like oh i can actually explain that to like a you know generic person that's busy with their job doing you know yep. whatever nine to five and they're like spell it out to me rob bell in a really well written easy to read <laughs> book right um and so to me someone like like Rob or something, you can tell he's doing very good, very hard work in some of the things he studied, mm. but the way he communicates it is in no way, shape or form at that level. And yeah. it shows because everyone goes, holy crap, this guy's making a lot of sense. Um, to what degree, um, it, what led you to go, I want to go into that level? Like, because for me, it's, it's, it's going, I don't want to be 50, 60, 70 years behind. I, I, I'm like a pioneer, right? I, I want the new iPhone before it's out. And even if it's a bit mm. broken, I want to see what it's like. Um, yeah. And I think that's what it is for me is I'm like, I want to know what the latest ideas are, what are the latest kind of theological implications of faith of whatever. Um, but most people are fairly content to kind of like, you could have, you could have studied all day, all night, you know, in between working and being a, a family man and stuff, you could have like, you know, when Kezia went to sleep at night, you could pick out your book and read like interesting books. And you could have yeah. studied not at this level. What, what was it that yeah. pushed you into kind of like the academic level? Because it is a whole nother kettle of fish. Like I think no one would, uh, would claim otherwise. I don't think, um, certainly it is for me when I'm trying to read stuff in that world. Yeah, no, you're right. It's, it's different. And, and, you know, I think some of it is uh, it's personality, and it's it's not necessarily a positive thing. It can be a vice, and it it, it can be a gift. But um, you probably know me as the type that's like, I'm not going to speak my mind some on something unless I'm uh, really confident about it mm -hmm. and really sure. And um, <clears throat> if I know just a little bit about something. I'm going to feel like probably a fake if I'm going to teach on it. Like I know that there's this much more to be known. And so to get up and lecture on it, I, I'm not going to like build a plane while, while I'm flying sure. and it's going, I think it's going to work. I'm like, I want to um, like really know my stuff uh, to kind of build this foundation. Um, it's the same thing. Like my wife always kids me. I, I won't, do something in front of people unless I've like practiced for hours behind the scenes. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, I'm like this not competitive guy unless it's something that I'm remotely good at. And then I'm going to try and be the best and I'm going to practice for like hundreds of hours behind the scenes. So this is the same thing that, that translates here. That's like, 
if if I'm going to do this, um, and if if I'm going to you know head into eventually writing books on theology or biblical studies or whatever, or I lecture, um, I want to go ahead and hit the highest mark of what is asked of scholars and and mm. and and you know um, jump through those hoops and and be forced to to, to learn Greek at an academic level um, and. Uh, crazily enough, it's having to be German too, which is absolutely mm-hmm. breaking my mind that I'm having to do that. But so for me, it's it's a bit of a personality of like it's it gives me confidence um, on topics. And then, like you said, there's that inquisitiveness. I just I love uh, the depth it requires of you. And you made a good point. Like I think there's this kind of conversation out there that that, that says. Um, formal education isn't really necessary and you know you can kind of just be self-taught and while I would say that's possible um, the level you're pushed is like you you'd have to be special really special and so so motivated to mm-hmm. uh, to learn at the level and, and the depth and the breadth that's required of you um, especially when it comes to two languages, if there's no yeah. deadline and there's no mm-hmm. test coming up or no supervisor that's going to listen to you say something in a language, like if none, of, if none of those things are hanging there in front of you to keep motivated and keep pushing and keep going deeper, I certainly wouldn't have been able to do that. Um, and so I think it's, it's, it's hopefully, um, yeah, it's, it's taking me to a, place on a few topics that I just wouldn't have had the discipline to do by myself. And again, there are exceptions. There's people who just go, I don't need to pay the money for it. And I'll completely be that disciplined and, and have PhD equivalent knowledge on on a topic. And I'm like, you're amazing. Sure. Yeah. 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 No, I I can think of people like that that fall into that bracket, but what's funny is most of them have PhDs as well, just because, you know, well, they did that, but then now they're like, you know, like the level that they're studying day in, day out and the material they're producing and stuff like that. But they're not officially affiliated with an academic institution anymore or, you know, things sure. like that. So, but, but it does seem that most people have been have forged themselves through that. Um, the person I'm thinking of most in my mind is um, Michael Harden. I don't know if you're familiar with Michael Harden. Um, yeah. Genius. Yeah, yeah. Absolute genius. And, and he's the reason I can, um, I can even begin to look at the Greek uh, texts because he taught me Greek three times a week for like an hour plus, you know, for a year and a half, we just every single week, we just sat down. And, and the, the degree that you learn when you're whistling like that, like I, I wanted to learn Greek. I mean, right when we were in uh, you know Bible school together, like a decade ago, I'm sure I mentioned to you, oh, I'm going to learn Greek at some point probably dozens of times and here I am like two years ago and I'm like okay I'm actually going to start and actually I didn't even really I, I messaged him and I was like hey Michael because he made a message he, he just said, made, made a comment in passing he says like people that learn Greek in like university he says they don't actually have any idea how to actually read Greek and, and translate or anything he's like they've learned like a Mickey Mouse quick course on like how to like read a few words here and there and then just open up a concordance and pick their favorite words and he's like sure. they don't actually know the grammatical complexities the history you know they don't know how the words are used in extra uh, biblical and canonical like texts and he's like they just don't know and so I messaged him I was like dude, you're like, you're beating up hard on people that can do this. I'm like, how do you recommend you do it? And he's like, oh, he's like, I'll start teaching on Tuesday at 9am. And I was like, shit, 
right? I was like, I, I, I hadn't really thought of committing to this, but I was like, I can't turn it down at the same time. Do you know what I mean? It was yeah. just too big an opportunity. Um, and, and so for me, that pushed me so hard, so fast. Like it was incredible yeah. the degree that I'd always kind of beat myself up and gone, I can't do that. I, I, I couldn't even do languages in school. Um, and suddenly I struggle with English and suddenly I'm like, oh, I'm like translating like, you know, first John, like, holy crap. I'm holding a copy of first John that I translated and it looks pretty accurate, you know? Amazing. Um, and, and so it's, it's incredible what that like external pressure, a pressure of having a mentor, the pressure of having systems in place to kind of move you forward. Absolutely. Like that's, that's a huge, huge factor. Do, do you think? And that's that, a good point. Yeah. Yeah. You can have uh, informal structures like that, that, mm. that push you. Um, so I'm not in the least trying to say that, uh, oh, there's a whole nother level reserved for people who go through a system and no one else does that. That's just been the case for me, but you're right. I mean, accessing someone like Michael Harden to, to yeah. teach you and have someone push you, yeah. I mean, that'll absolutely and, and do. And he's, do he's done it at those high levels. You know, he's done it at the very highest kind of levels of what it looks like to kind of like engage with Greek texts. Like, I mean, he is a... Mm. a, a a genius on those levels um yeah and so you know people contact him to go hey i'd like to run this by you know some of the the biggest names in, in theological writings that i've come across um you know um you're like oh they sent their advanced copy of their latest script you know their latest uh, uh, paper or whatever to michael harden for his input you know you're wow. oh wow yeah i need to have michael harden on this podcast actually i really do um but uh yeah good idea um but I, th this is the—I think this is one of the sticking uh, elements because, like I was saying, like the grand amount of people, the vast majority of people, they've got lives to do. They've got you know stuff going on. Like I often say, like even even for pastors, the grand amount of pastors, the majority of pastors, they maybe went to seminary and learned a little bit here or there, and a lot can be said for and against kind of like more kind of uh, yeah. uh, institutional kind of places of learning. Um, however. Most of them, week in, week out, unless you're like at a huge organization where you're the teaching pastor, you've got to visit sick people. You've got to go to the hospital. You've got to marry people. You've got to like, you know, um, like mentor a bunch of people in your church. You've got to like, you know, do a lot of stuff. You're running like eight different groups a week, you know. Mm. You don't have time to sit there and, you know, brush up on your 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 mm. Greek. You don't have time to, you know, read J. Lou Martin's like, you know, like relations, yeah. like that's not going to happen. Right. Yeah. Um, and totally. so do you think that what, what do you think is the kind of middle grounds for people that are like trying to engage at those kind of, they want to go into those deeper levels, but they're not going to pick up deliverance from God, a 1300 page book and flick through it. Um, you know, there's, there's gotta be, cause do, do you think people are missing out? I guess that's my, my thing. Cause that's how I, I went into this world because I felt like I was missing out. Um, yeah. But it feels very unfair in a sense, especially when we talk about it from a very spiritual perspective of like a bit unfair of God to like kind of have this like barrier of like, well, if you really want to know this stuff, you're going to have to like get a PhD. Um, yeah. Do you know what I'm saying there? How, how do you yeah. navigate that kind of dynamic? And how do you, how do you see people that aren't in academic community um, being able to engage with that kind of world or what's going on. And that's a, that's a crucial question. Um, and I, so some of it for me um, is how I view 
the nature and the function of the church and how it should operate um, in terms of just <clears throat> uh, being a team. Um, I do not think everyone, if they were really responsible, would have a, you know, would base, would develop a basic understanding of, of Greek. I'm like, no, that's super unrealistic. Yeah. And uh, that's, as you said, unfair. Um, and so I think we all have to kind of go, all right, what, what is our role to play in contribution to, to the wider community? And so for people who look at me and go, like, Jared, you, what you're doing sounds terrible and boring. And like, how do you live with yourself? Just spending three years on like one chapter of the Bible, like your life sounds the, the worst. Um, and, and I go, yeah, great. I'm built differently. And I was designed to love it. And what you do, I probably hate it. And it sounds terrible too, but lean on me to dive into this to topic way more than you want to. And then I'll come back with a few scraps and say, Hey, this might be beneficial. And then you can, you know, we can all serve each other with our own gifts. And, you know, mm -hmm. the, the local pastors who are doing the um, the baby dedications and the baptisms and the funerals and stuff. I'm like, I don't want to do any of that stuff. Yeah. That sounds hard and, and, or meetings all day and doing counseling. I'm like, that just, uh, I would last like three weeks yeah. doing that job. Um, but somehow I last three years reading academic journals and stuff. I'm like, mm -hmm. uh, so somehow I think we, we have to be willing to kind of lean on each other and um, not expect, everyone to, to operate at that level. Cause um, you know, when you read someone like David Bentley Hart, who has a crazy understanding of mm, the Greek, absolutely. that sometimes people's criticism is like, you've created this gap that just makes it to where like, no one can actually understand the new, the new Testament like you. And so that almost is an argument against his reading is that there's, mm. that there's a barrier that God wouldn't have created for this time or whatever. Um, but, I think we, we just go, no, actually, instead, find these people who have, you know, devoted their lives to this and then pull on them yeah. in that way. Um, and if and if you so desire to to do a bit of it yourself, so you can actually have the thrill of reading a bit of Greek and going, mm -hmm. oh, my gosh, I just understood that verse, which is a crazy feeling when you first do that. The first yeah. verse you, you, you translate, you're like, I'm a god, I'm a genius. Yeah. Um, I think then you just make sure to, to read like one level above you or two levels and then know that those people are reading a level above them. Yeah. Um, and, you know, this is that thing you said at the very beginning. A lot of us are kind of standing on the invisible structure of the academic world, whether we went to the, to the academy ourselves or we read people who read people who were in the mm -hmm. academy themselves. It's kind of like, Yep. It's there to serve the church um, and it should benefit the church, but everyone doesn't need to take part in it yep. or learn basic Greek or Hebrew. Um, I don't know a lick of Hebrew and I'm fully relying on Old Testament scholars or Hebrew Bible Seriously, scholars. And, I'm not even going to yeah. go there. Yeah. Yeah. No. <laughs> uh, and I just have to go, yeah, that's your specialty. And, and um, I'm going to let you do your thing yeah. and I'll do mine. No, that's really interesting. I, I, one of the things that fascinates me is, um, 
and this probably goes hand in hand with my own personal journey of kind of, you know me and, you know, even a decade ago, I was like, oh, what parts do I believe that I can just completely de unravel and ruin because I'm fascinated about learning new ideas, new concepts, new ways of seeing things. I've always been a bit like that, but that's escalated and grown and developed as the years have gone on. And I know you've kind of seen that from a distance to some degree. Um, mm. But I think one of the things that fascinated me looking into the academic community was how differently it was structured to most of my experiences of churches um, in that most of the academic community when it comes to approaching theology is, oh, obviously we don't know who's right. We're just looking at all these different ideas and we're, we're, we're kind of grabbing one idea and going, I'm going to explore this to the nth degree and hopefully I'll prove my thesis, I'll prove my point. But actually, if I prove it to be wrong and it might be someone else's, that's a good positive move as well. Um, but it's, it's, it's almost, it's the scientific method in a sense, isn't it? It's, it's going, well, we're holding all of this quite lightly because we don't know a lot of this. Um, mm. Whereas it feels like uh, in day-to-day, -day, uh, the church across most of the kind of Western Protestant denominations and, and maybe beyond that even, mm. um, there's an element of, needing to make sure we have the right belief and, and prove we have the right belief that there isn't that openness uh, to mm. different views and, and beliefs. How, was that something that you um, were surprised by, that you enjoyed, that you struggled with? Like, how did you engage? Because I know that you've come from um, probably more uh, charismatic background, right? So it's a fairly fundamental um approach to doctrine on yeah. the whole um yeah. you know in, in other ways it can be quite uh, broad and liberal in their approaches and certain things but as far as understanding the bible and reading the bible and how we interpret the bible it can be quite fundamental was that quite mm. a shock for you going from that into uh, a world where that probably wasn't going to get you very far um unless you were in a very subset of you know uh, that academic world uh, yeah no definitely um, there is, there is certainly some shocking moments for me when you kind of learn that in the academic world, even in New Testament, uh, there's everything is up for debate. Mm. Everything is, is, uh, questioned and has to be defended. I mean, my supervisor, um, his, his, you know, one of his biggest works, and it was his, uh, his basically his dissertation was um, on a Pauline Christology, where there's this massive debate of did Paul think Jesus was God, and, mm. and you're like, well, duh, and then you're, and then yeah. and then you read a few articles of people and people saying absolutely not, and here's why, using the New Testament as their sources, and you're like, what? Uh, it, yeah, it's just like, it's like absolutely everything is debated, yeah. uh, and support and their arguments are supported really well. Yeah. Um, but anyways, I'm, I'm getting, I'm getting a bit off track, but that was one of my early shocking moments. I was like, wait, they're debating what, you know, yeah. I thought that was like super crystal clear. Uh, but yeah, I think, um, one of the, pieces that's complicated you know with the contrast between the, the academy and the church would be um the pastoral responsibility of leaders with what they're teaching um it doesn't mean that uh that justifies 
a dogmatic approach. Mm. Uh, it does mean it. There's there's maybe a, a there's there's maybe greater consequences on their beliefs, uh, and you know that being communicated, um, and sure. they and they might see that play out more, um, and they might see the fruit of their work a bit more. For me, like. I'm well aware that when I write my PhD and I turn it in, in a couple of years, um, it's not being written like no one on the planet is going to grab my PhD and put it on their nightstand and go, mm, and then like read through it. And I, like, no one's going to read it and go like, I plan on, yeah, like <laughs> I plan on being blessed by this and it's going to like encourage me. It's, it's going to be sure. dense and basically it goes it's, it's written so that a bunch of other scholars and people who are going to write their PhD on Galatians mm-hmm. can disagree with it. They're all going to try and find where they part ways with me. So I'm basically feeding it to sharks once it's printed yeah. uh, so that people can then pick it apart and find the ways that they think I'm wrong. And there's going to be all these, mm-hmm. you know, if it's worth reading, then it will be picked apart and um, sharpened, which I think is really healthy. I think yeah. that's, that's the part of the academic world that I'm that I love is the assumption that um, everyone's going to think really critically about whatever you write and their respect for you or their love for you has very little to do with what they think about what you wrote Um, and they, they can just you know tear one of your ideas to shreds and show and show how you're completely wrong and they just love you to death. And they're like, and, yeah, and you're yeah. an amazing scholar and you've benefited the world of biblical studies. And, and, but I completely yeah. did, did disagree with you and you're completely wrong. Um, and yeah, I think that's, uh, that's a, definitely a bit different than, than how the church functions. Um, yeah, well, we don't cope with uh, disagreement on those levels either, like very well. We take it very personally at times because a lot, I think a lot of it is because these aren't, you know, this is, this is your life, right? You pour into this for three years as, as even that you've probably poured into this a few years prior, like thinking and, and framing and gearing up for something like, so this is like five years, six years of your life, like poured into this yeah. one document. And then someone goes, eh, Jared, that's bullshit, dude, you're an idiot. Um, and you're like, ah, so of course, there's always going to be some of those elements of human humanity within it. But, um, sure. but when you're approaching things as an academic uh, and you're and you're putting forth things as um, scholarly works. You're not necessarily inherently wrapping up your being and your your eternal security and you know all these other elements um, and how good a teacher you are, how good a pastor you are, how safe you make are making people, how how you're equipping people for eternity, like, like all these kind of things. So that if you say to a pastor, "That's wrong. Your message was completely wrong last Sunday," they are going to go, "Oh, but that." is what I'm basing my eternity on. It's what I, I'm going to be judged twice as severely on that based on like, you know, whatever. Um, totally. there's, there's so much um, emotion and um, spiritual identity ingrained in what we believe when you kind of take a step out of that academic kind of um, world to some degree. I, I know, I'm, I mean, a lot of academics, this is interwoven with their faith. And I'm sure you would say that that is heavily the case for you. Like that what you're writing about is somewhat woven into how you believe, how you interact with God, how you um, see the world. Um, 
but it is an interesting dynamic. And, and I, I'm thinking of like you, you describing this like kind of teamwork, this body, you know, like, look, you're a pastor, you're here to pastor people, not to give the greatest kind of um, expository working on Philippians that's ever existed. If you did that, it'd be bloody impressive, but we're not expecting this from you. It's okay if you're going to go visit Barbara, who's dying in the hospital and her family, you know, like, please yeah. do that. Because you know, I don't know what to do. I would be rubbish in that environment. Um, yeah. But in the same sense, I do wonder if um, we can all recognize that different people have these different gifts and they're all a different part of the body, you know, that kind of analogy, the Corinthians kind of analogy of body parts. Um, yeah. I do wonder at times if the church has kind of on some level forsaken the value of academia, though. Um, and I think to some degree, this is potentially why it's so far behind in its um its communication of where the majority of academia are um if mm. you look at you know what the average church in america is preaching it's probably like i said a few decades behind i don't know if you'd agree with that interpretation or not um mm. but that's my perspective um and i do wonder if part of that is because we don't really value academia and it needs to filter down until it comes from someone we do value until someone that we see as a one of those big pastors that's great at explaining things, you know, like with Rob Bell, John Piper, whichever branch you're in, you've got these people that will read their book and they're, they're maybe feeding on certain things. And so eventually it gets in. Um, would, would you agree that that's maybe something that's in play um, within a good portion of the church, that there isn't a value for people that are invested in doing academic work and, and their findings? Or would you disagree with that? Um, so I haven't experienced, uh, like, you know, interpersonal um, dialogue on, you know, feeling devalued uh, mm. from leaders saying, you know, what are you doing going into the institution to do that? You, you shouldn't do that. You should just turn your mind off and just think more with your heart. Like, I d haven't encountered that, thankfully. Um, <clears throat> however, uh, <clears throat> I do think, or I, I do see, I have seen an unawareness of the structure that they're standing on, which can then um, result in comments that, that devalue um, scholars and mm. theologians. Sometimes scholars and theologians can be kind of the um, off the cuff, enemy in a sermon it's like well you know theologians can say all they want blah 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 but blah 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 and, and they'll kind of put them in a, in a camp of like people who get too wrapped up in their head mm. and um you know aren't, aren't really like being led by the spirit and so scholars may say this or that but we know blah 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 and when those moments happen i go huh this is this is interesting because we're we are um we're all, uh, you know, eating from and living from this thing that's been handed to us by hundreds and hundreds of years of intense, mm. deep academic work. Every translation we read is because someone had to go ultra deep into the biblical languages for us. Um, and so I think I have seen an unawareness of, as you've worded it, of the shoulders we're standing on. And, and then that kind of plays out and like, well, we don't really need them. And it's like, meanwhile, we're like balancing on top of them. Um, but 
you know, in my experience, thanks to that, I haven't had people say, you know, mm-hmm. what you're doing isn't, isn't beneficial or something like that. Um, but it is part of my um, long-term desire to kind of create that, that um, mutual value. Cause I think the Academy can also look down from their noses at, at people in, in um, pastoral work or, you know, uh, in missions and go, how can they not get this stuff? Uh, yeah. And, and then, you know, sit with arms crossed while their teacher tries to teach a text that they know way better. Um, and you made a good point. It's like, yeah, well, we, we shouldn't want them to have to know the six debates on the topic, you know, cause then they wouldn't take care of Barbara in the hospital. Sure. Um, so, so I think, which by the way, my, my, my church leaders, I'm blessed, um, are, are great at teaching and they have been giving awesome messages, but I do think I want to see that, that, that gap bridged a bit and that, that mutual value of like, wow, we need what you're doing. Otherwise our theology never hits the ground and it doesn't play out and we don't see it um, work out in the community. Um, And you need academics to um, spend years in trenches that you think are boring and then kind of come back with spoils and say, Hey, here's what's going to be beneficial for you to, to learn. Um, And that's not something that's, that's really fun is, Uh, the deeper you dive into stuff, the more you see the ripples of how something really small can play out into everyday life and all these different areas that you believe. Yeah. Um, and it might seem just really small and insignificant, but it, it actually, it's of huge significance. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, it's, it's fascinating, isn't it? And like, Man, so many different directions I'm, I'm thinking of going in. Um, but you know, so, something I would like I was always struck by was um coming across the the sheer quantities, you know, when we started discovering in the last kind of hundred years, we discovered so many new manuscripts of different uh texts, but you start discovering, oh my gosh, the early church was so freaking diverse. And what Christianity has become, um uh, you know that wasn't the only group that came out of Jesus and his followers. Like there were so many groups and that's just the group that kind of won the argument and why they won the argument could possibly, we don't really know, but you could almost potentially boil it down to, eh, they were in Rome. They had the money, the power and the structure. And that's why they beat the Gnostics and the uh, Ebionites and all, all, you know, there's so many different groups. Um, But what's fascinating is we largely didn't overly know that there were that many different groups. And if we did, we didn't really know what they believed as much and things like that, because largely we just didn't have many of their writings. And and if we did, they were just fragments here or there. And we're like, ah, they were probably quite similar, but just believed a slight different thing here. And and so it's just so fascinating how these little things suddenly blow stuff wide open, which then mean, oh my gosh, I have to completely reevaluate the first 400 years of Christianity which was largely mm. based on one person's writing because we only had mm. kind of one church historian and they were 400 years in, you know, um, yeah. I'm oversimplifying that whole topic, of course, but, but I think like it's these little things, but generally speaking, nine out of 10 Christians isn't going to really ever know that that's a conversation. That's a debate. That's a, that's an entire wing off academia. I mean, it's, it, you know, first couple of centuries of, of, of history within the church is a massive branch of study with thousands and thousands of people doing hard work day in, day out, dedicating their lives just to that time period. 
And yet, yeah. you know, Steve and his church is probably never going to hear anything about that from the pulpit. Um, and largely, maybe he doesn't need to, because how much does it really change his day in, day out, how he does his life? Um, the question I have, like, is there's got to be some sort of balance. Um, I, I heard, um, I think it was Bart Ehrman, who, who's, I think he's a great um, uh, example of someone that's working at the high tier levels of academia, but is actually able to communicate that and very understandable and easy to read. Whatever you believe about his different conclusions and things like that, but the way he puts that across is a fantastic um, example mm. of maybe some of these middle men that I think we're needing. Um, but something he, he put across once was he was saying, I don't, need, um, I don't need pastors every Sunday to give like a message that completely deconstructs who Jesus in the early church was and, you know, and, and sends everyone into spirals everywhere to go, oh my God, there is no God. Or he's like that, like an academic can live in that world. And they're so in that world that it doesn't necessarily even affect their faith to such a degree. Cause they're like, well, no, we're just looking at it from this perspective and that's fine. Sure. But you give that to like, again, Steve, who's just sitting on the third row, the row he's been in every week. He just has a meltdown when he hears it. Um, but Bart was saying, like, I, I don't need that to be like what pastors preach every Sunday. He's like, that's impractical. It's not helpful. Um, you know, it's, it's just not a, a, something that anyone should really expect from, from a, a general uh, preacher. But he was saying one of the issues is that the preacher pretends that it doesn't exist. And I think it's, it's almost the, it's the, it's the sweeping under the rug of academia that I think it's not that most things that are being studied right now are probably not that relevant, probably not that applicable or, or translatable yet anyway. We still wait another decade or so for it all to kind of filter down and what are the implications and stuff. But there is this element of like, oh no, this isn't even a debate. So you have people going, oh no, there's no debate. It's 100% the earth is 6,000 years old. And I'm like, dude, like that's one way to approach things, but it's certainly a debate you know, yeah, yeah. or whatever, or there's no debate. It's a hundred percent, you know, that this passage is literal or that passage is metaphorical. It's like, dude, a hundred percent guarantee whatever passage you're pointing to, there's a debate. Someone out mm. there is starting to go, eh, wait, let's look at it a different way. Like, do you see that as problematic that the, the, the church is, um, and, and I say church so broadly because the vast majority of church is not even playing this in this world but in doing so they're they're ignoring these conversations they're ignoring that there's there's stuff we don't know about the bible there's stuff we don't know about christianity we're still exploring and and learning and growing and evolving and it feels like a lot of day-to-day -day christianity wants to not know that doesn't want to engage with that concept wants to think well christianity is finished we've figured it out and it happens to be my denomination that's figured it out perfectly it happens to be in my denomination that my pastor knows it exactly perfectly the best you know mm. i just need to listen to that do, do you see problems with that kind of model or do you think that's just part of the way it works and it just is and it will change over time and it will slowly kind of adapt do you know what i mean it's, how do you see that dynamic yeah um i mean i think I, I would end up having a much more informed answer if i you know tried to be a senior leader for a couple of years and then then and, and then answer it but from the outside looking in, I think that there's a lot of dynamics in play. You know, if, if, if you're leading and you're shutting down questions uh, from, you know, other, other people, maybe in the leadership team or in, in the church, and you're kind of squashing dissenting voices on topics, mm. that's a problem. You know, I think 
open-minded um, teaching and leadership is really healthy. And, um, you know, you, you can have a few non, non-negotiables as long as they're creedal. <laughs> mm. And then after that, like, well, welcoming in openness creates, you know, it disciples people who are thinkers and you want to train people to think, you know, you don't want to train everyone to have to learn Greek, but just to how to think critically, I think is super healthy. So yeah. if, if they create an environment where people feel free to think, I think that's really great. I think it's helpful when pastors maybe occasionally, once every couple months, they do take a few moments to mention a larger debate and how this could be viewed in another mm. way that I disagree with, but actually there's a fair point here and you might want to look at this more deeply. That I think that would be really healthy and certain members of the congregation will eat that up and go, yeah. oh yes, I'm going to look at that topic. I love that you know he or she spoke on this and said that. So I think it's a problem if it's being squashed. Um, and like you said, when um, you've, you've got to know where the church is, uh, not geographically, but in their, in their narrative, uh, if they've just gone through three church splits and, you know, they have it, they're this age demographic or that, you know, you don't want them to just go, and guess what? This isn't true. And there's a, you, guess you gotta what? like, there's a question <laughs> if Paul even thought Jesus was God. <laughs> exactly. You're like, which spoiler alert, he did thankfully. Um, but, yeah, so I think you've got to check all those things, but then I think if you're discipling people who can think, like that's such, that's such a big deal. That's so helpful. But if you're squashing that, that that's yeah. a problem. I think it's it's interesting because I feel like we're at a very interesting time in history. Um, in that, you know, the the when when the book and the printing press came across, it's it's no coincidence that that's when we had this huge reformation and people's ideas and opinions mm. just radically shifted and changed and i think we're in a time today of the internet like i say all the time like I, so many leaders come to me and go like oh like what what can i do about people leaving my church and i'm like first of all you gotta stop pretending you know all the answers because the second you say something as an absolute half the congregation have typed it into google and hit send and found out you're talking bullshit before you finish your sentence right i mean it's all yeah, they've yeah. got the answer to every question on their phone Give or take, you know, I'm being a bit facetious with that, but yeah, yeah. Um, you know, like, and and it's fascinating how I, I think we're in a completely new era, and I think this is actually a big part of why um, I think more and more people are looking to the academy, to to people that are uh, a little bit more scholarly, a little bit more open with with maybe how they approach topics and and try and present topics a bit more openly. It's why I'm trying to do that as much as I can. Um, I just read a great um, study by a guy called um, Josh Packard, who did a church. Uh, he did a study um, that he kind of labeled church refugees, and it's on the de-churched um, kind of movement of, of people that are leaving church, um, which is a kind of overlap with the kind of group that I'm working with. A lot of people leave church I work with, and a lot of people don't, but maybe they've left it a little bit intellectually mm. on some level. Um, yeah, yeah. But it's fascinating. They, they studied over a thousand people, and they did literally interviews with over a thousand people across loads of different denominations across the world um, because they decide not to go for the quantitative um, and more uh, qualitative methods, which is like 
you kind of have to do it with something like this, but my God, it's a lot of work. And so they, they, they interviewed over a thousand people and they, they had all these theories going in and they were like, oh, they're going to have been offended and hurt by someone in church, or maybe they just like got a bit lukewarm and didn't care anymore. Or maybe they like went to uni and like found out they're not so sure and then just drifted on, or maybe they married a non-Christian spouse and they just didn't really care anymore. All their hyp hypotheses proved not to be true. And in fact, some of them, they couldn't prove once out of thousands um the idea that someone just gets hurt and left like they couldn't find one person that just got hurt and left um anyone that left because they were like oh yeah i've been hurt was like systematically hurt in multiple choices over like years um so mm. you know these people really believed in the church and hung on the point i'm making is the number one thing that they found across the whole boards i think it was like i can't remember what percentage but it's like right up there in the 90s was that people wanted to have a conversation about beliefs rather than be dictated to about beliefs. And they wanted this mm. a community where they could discuss and be open and go, well, I think a bit differently. Um, and what they found across the board, this group of people was that they, they were struggling to find churches where they could do that. Most of the churches were going, no, this is what we believe, or this is what you should believe. Don't start asking that question. Um, and I think what that's doing is pushing a whole new branch of Christianity Mm. out of churches and towards people um people like bart ehrman and nt wright and you know people that are kind of these middlemen that are trying to kind of get academic um discussions into the the, the layman's hands um and i think that's a really exciting uh proposition in some ways i know for for yeah. the average church leader that's quite a scary proposition i think there's a lot to be learned from it like like you're saying don't be a church that does that start encouraging conversation but it's not quite so easy when you're, that's your kind of uh, mindset, I'm sure. But do, do you think, that, um, obviously you've not been in this world for too long, but, but do you think that there, um, there is a shift in the way that um, academia is approached? Like when I, when I look at like uh, books I've found easy to read by academics, they quickly like drop off around like the mid eighties, early nineties. Like, there's just none like they're all like oh my god this is now like wading through treacle like it's just a nightmare um whereas in modern times around now like i mean you've got some of the smartest minds on the planet writing blogs you know and yeah. so it's like yeah i'm working on this thesis and this huge project with like multiple people working on it to try and figure it out but in my spare time i'll bash out a blog every other week and you're like holy crap this is one of the the most advanced smartest minds on the planet on this topic giving us a 500 word blog every two weeks. Um, yeah. Do, do you see that becoming a, a I guess, a, a, do you have thoughts on that shift? And if it, cause I think culturally we are shifting towards more asking more questions, being a bit more open. Um, do, do you think that, what do you think is in place within academia to meet that need? Do you, do you think that's something that people are dealing with intentionally or is it, do you see people rising up to fill in those kind of middle grounds? <clears throat> I mean, yeah, you're right that uh, I can only speak with a certain level of confidence on this, having been in this world for however long I've been here. So, but I would say um, the game has changed and I don't want to speak to motive too much, um, but I think with, you know, social media being one of the main ways that people get the word out for, um, you know, books and publications and stuff. If you, 
if you aren't writing content that is uh, relatable and able to be um, uh, kind of put out in bite-sized chunks, then no one's going to buy your books and you're going to get no sales and no one's going to read what you're saying. Um, you're going to have a few scholars who interact with you and then did, you know, you, you might find that you've been disagreed with a few times in footnotes and then that's like your academic career is like, yeah, well, this guy's wrong and here's why. Um, but I think you've, you've got to, um, if you want your work to get out there and you want it to make its way into the hands of everyone, you've got to be able to do that. I was just recommending a book to a friend today and I was reading up on kind of what the book was and it, and it was like, this guy wrote his, his uh, dissertation, his PhD dissertation. And then he did the classic thing of you then get it published um, by a publisher in a slightly different format, but it's basically the exact same content. And then now this is a, a new version that's a popular level version. So it's like a the sure. third level of, of publication. Uh, but you've, you've got to do that. Otherwise, it just gets filed away into a, um, you know, on a bookshelf in an academic library somewhere. Um, yeah. So I, I don't know if that's getting directly to what you're asking, but. I don't know what I was asking, if I'm honest, but that, that, that feels like a good answer to it. Who do you then think that is was doing the answer. well? Who's doing it well? Like, who do you look at and go, dang, they are doing it really well, where they're putting out some of the most important work, but actually it's not just fizzling away. Because I'm sure there are probably some academic works in there. If we if we could troll through all of history, we'd be like, holy crap, we missed some gold here. And it's because it just didn't get published well or, or read well. And, um, you know, like we, we could look at some of the greats of our time today. Um, yeah. I think it's someone like Doug Campbell, like we talked about, um, you know, some of his works, incredible but very few people are going to read the deliverance from god i mean good yeah. god i'm like dude get to the point like seriously yeah. like he takes yeah. like 400 pages to tell me what i already know so he can then tell me what he started to think of. i'm like dude this is killing me like so killing me um but he then writes yeah. phenomenal uh you know his book on apostle paul that just talks about paul's life and how we can piece together who paul was historically and what it was like at, you know and what we can most likely know about his life. I'm like, this is fantastic. I'm, it's a page yeah. turner. You know, I'm literally, yeah. I was like, I was tearing through it. And I was like, yeah. And, and of course that isn't um, a, a direct reflection on the, <laughs> the deliverance of God necessarily. Yeah, yeah. Um, but like, who do you think is doing really well in that world? Um, well, the obvious one who's absolutely crushing it is uh, N.T. Wright. I mean, he's, yeah. He is um, at the top of the game in the academic world. Uh, and people, a lot of people haven't read it or don't know that it's out there, but I mean, he's got loads and loads of academic books that are like, you know, really like the, the vocabulary is completely different. Yeah. And, and the footnotes take up half the page and, you know, and it's like <laughs> it's real deal scholarly work. And then he, and then he also has his new Testament for everyone commentary series. Yeah. That's like little devotional booklets and, he's been doing that for, you know, multiple decades now writing popular level. Um, honestly, I would say he's been doing it before the system has required it. He's been writing so that everyone can read it for a while. Well, yeah. before everyone was having to do their Instagram quotes, you know, he's been doing yeah. this forever. So he's someone who, <laughs> when people come to me and say, I need an entrance into Paul, 
even though I, I part ways with, with Wright on a few things, he's someone that, that can kind of, you, you can work up the ladder, um, so to speak, and, and then try the next level of yeah. content. He's um, such so he's, a safe entry level as well, because on the whole, most Christians across most denominations are going to read N.T. Wright and probably not end up hurling the book across the table going like, check. Um, exactly. His conclusions are fairly in line with where a lot of people are going to, are going to be anyway on, on the whole, right? So it's not mm -hmm. like, um, you know, I mentioned Bart Roman or something like you read here, you're like, what do you mean? You know, that person didn't even exist. Damn you, Mark. Yeah. You know, it's like, <laughs> why are you taking this from me? You know, and, and so yeah, yeah. it's such a different kind of like where where he's exposing conversations that a lot of people just aren't remotely willing to start having. Someone like N.T. Wright is 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 a very, uh, in my opinion, a very safe kind of stepping stone into that world as well. I think. Mm -hmm. um, would you agree with that? I, I don't. And, know, maybe not. But. Oh, I do, and, and that's one one of the reasons I can recommend him. It doesn't matter who asks me. I'm like, well, he's not going to offend anyone pretty yeah. much if which is if why I, right. I don't like anti right because i'm just like eh, i've this isn't all it's 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 very well put together but i'm like there's nothing in here that's challenging me to see things massively new um and that's why i, I i'm totally i'm a weird twisted person though like we talked about earlier like i like being like torn apart and going oh no that thing i believe my whole life is wrong like that's what yeah. i want from someone um even if it's wrong i'm like i want to explore that at least yeah and, and engage with that and i'm guessing then you probably arrived at rights content maybe partway through your your evolution of because, too late. yeah because yeah. he does challenge people who are um you know early on and they yeah so, yeah that's true exactly. it's very true yeah but for you, yeah, no surprise at, at this yeah. point. You're, you're not going to get anything from him that's going to rattle your cage. Um, no, but there's very little that rattles my cage. <laughs> so, yeah, I always have to think that when I'm recommending books, I'm always like, okay, where's this person at? Where, what would be a mind-blowing thing for them? Okay, who is in that remit? Because generally speaking, like the book I most recently read, they're going to like literally just like crumble to bits and like, you know, go, there is no God, which... If that's what I have to do, I don't know, but yeah. um, I'm not going to push people over the cliff if, they, if they're not ready to go, <laughs> they don't want to go. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah. Do, who else do you, do you think is, is doing good work in this area? Yeah, I mean, Campbell is, he's in the mix. I mean, he, he's, he's working on a popular level version of Deliverance at, at the moment, right. which is exciting. And then I think he'll do, uh, I think his new one, uh, A Pauline Dogmatics. How do you rate that? Is, it's way more readable. Um, okay. And so I think almost anyone can, can read that, but it's just so long. So he's even going to do, from what I hear, he's even going to do another Break level, that. like a, yeah, shorter. So I would be on the lookout for those. Um, Richard Hayes. Um, okay. So he, he wrote one called reading backwards uh, and it's still slightly more on the academic spectrum, um, but it's it's to me it's it's one of the things that it, it fueled my jets, um, sending me into my PhD. I was like, this guy, the way he's um, reading the Hebrew Bible and his his hermeneutic is, is fascinating. So Richard Hayes ha has a couple of things. I mean, Eugene Peterson, he's. Mm. 
he he, he was another granddaddy of it, right? I mean, to the he point where it. he was like, well, let's make the Bible more understandable. I mean, like, you can't go much more like, all right, let's really stun this thing down for people than like changing their Bible. Um, yeah, exactly. And, and anyone that has read his actual works, I mean, like, they're, they're usually like overflowing with great things to say, like, oh my God, this changed my life. Like, um, I don't think nearly enough people have uh, read his stuff, but yeah. I yeah. He, he almost, did a PhD. Um, he had an offer to do one with just like some uh, incredible scholar, and then he actually turned it down <laughs> and felt called to just minister to the church. Um, I think, I mean, you have to give me your opinion on this. What do you think about Wal- uh, Walter Brueggemann? Is Dude, he, I've, I've not read enough. Is of he doing that? I think I, I get confused sometimes because I tend to push myself and read things that I don't understand way too often and so i do read the kind of more academic stuff where at times i then start reading something else and i'm like pretty good i'm really engaged with this Mm. um but i actually if i take it or what i've done is i've i've recommended brueggemann to someone before and they've gone dude what the hell this is hard to understand and wrap my head around um and so some of this stuff yeah i wonder sometimes if i'm like oh he's really easy to read because i'm comparing him to deliverance from God or something like that, you know? And I'm like, no, it's interesting. a lot shorter and a lot more to the point, but I think his, I really enjoy his stuff. So yeah, I, yeah well, what I've read of it, I, I've only read piecemeal here and there. Uh, yeah, he definitely has some more pastoral works and then definitely some really complicated, um, heady ones, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, it's cool, it's a good list. I might, I'll, I'll include some of those uh, names in the show notes so people can uh, check them out. I'll put them in like a scale. We can like like color code them from like green to red. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so funny. So tell me about your PhD. So what's brought you to where you are now and why are you exploring what you're exploring now? Yeah, well, I would say um, it started when I um, just got more and more passionate about how Jesus changes um, our reading of uh, the Hebrew Bible um, or the Old Testament and our revelation of God. Um, You know, that once you accept that piece of truth, that Jesus is the definitive revelation of God and everything else needs to be checked by that, Mm. that's going to send ripples through absolutely everything you believe and it's going to keep going and it's not going to stop. Um, and that's just at, at the, at the center of what has, um, really changed a lot of my thinking. And so for me, once I, um, really focused on that, I, I was like, okay, why, well, what does it mean, um, for me to now read scripture, having seen Jesus, um, that being my, my hermeneutic, what does it look like? So I, I, I wrote my master's thesis on that and I used a lot of Richard Hayes um, and a few different other voices. And, and then it, that was kind of my, my big why, um, which you have to have when you're looking for your, um, your, 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 research to- your research topic is like, all right, what's my big why? Because if you don't have a, a really big why that you're passionate about, then you're going to hate your topic within three years. You're going to be like, get me away from this. This is so boring. So it needs to be something that you yeah. can anticipate. I will care about this in three, four or five years. It's almost like getting a tattoo. You're like, this, this is, is why I'm not an academic dude. 
<laughs> that, like, I cannot stress this enough. This last week I've read like from eight different st topics. Like I was studying anesthesiology for like a like four hours and I'm like, awesome. wait, I was trying to read, you know, like about some church statistics from sociologists like about, you know, church refugees. And I'm like, how yeah, have yeah. I gone off this trail? But it's to do with consciousness and how we think about that based on anesthesia. And I'm like, so I, I'm like, this is my biggest reservation for getting involved in this kind of world. But anyway, keep going. Hilarious. I'm just terrified of doing something for three years. Cause I'm like, I, I can't do things for three hours. Dude, maybe I, I need the, the structure. Biggest, maybe that's it. <laughs> no, the biggest reason you shouldn't do one Bill, is because you basically have to give up reading things not related to your topic unless you just happen to have loads of time yeah honestly dude like i've got like 15 books around me right now and none of them are related you just can't do it man it's it's <laughs> brutal I, I have like a building i have a piling list uh increasing list of books that i'll read in like three years it's just it's devastating <laughs> it's oh, devastating so um so yeah yeah so I, I had my big why like how does um, Jesus being the definitive revelation of God changed everything, including the reading of the Hebrew Bible. Mm. Um, and uh, I ended up talking to who would now be my supervisor. Um, and he said, well, you know, I'm a Paulian scholar. And, um, you know, this, this is something that, you know, we can really chat about and we can look at, um, yeah, how, how Paul um, how Paul's world um, was reoriented around his revelation of Christ. And, and, you, and we can investigate Paul's use and his rereading of, of, of the Hebrew Bible, having um, met Jesus. Um, Cause I think, you know, that's one of the golden questions is like, okay, well now that we've met Jesus and now that he's the interpretive principle, the interpretive ethic, the hermeneutic, how do we read the old Testament? It's like this huge question. And it's like, well, we have like loads of examples. Uh, why don't we look at how it was done by biblical authors? Yeah. Um, that's, that's a good place to start. Like, let's just, well, let's see how Jesus did it or how Paul did it or how, you know, whoever. Yeah. So Galatians three and four um, is a hotbed for d uh, debate, um, obviously uh, for Paulian scholars. And um, he's doing something pretty interesting there. Um, you know, the church up, Galatia is trying to be wooed towards getting circumcised and doing works of the law to kind of find their, their spot in the Abrahamic promise. Um, even though they already received the spirit and they had already heard Paul's message and they already, you know, met Jesus, so to speak. And so Paul's like, all right, you know, this is ridiculous. You guys are absolutely foolish. Um, you know, Basically, I publicly portrayed Jesus as crucified before you. You met him and the spirit's been doing all sorts of works in your midst. And I need to know, how did you get the spirit? Was it works of law or, or was it you know, the proclamation of faithfulness? Or, uh, you know, um, that's a great term. There, there's a great debate about how, how to translate that. It's going to be, I can't wait to write my chapter on that. But um, what what I'm proposing is a particular reading of uh, Galatians three and four. It's called the uh, an apocalyptic reading or the apocalyptic Paul, um, and it's not uh, you know horsemen and uh, end times uh, you know left behind kind of stuff. Yeah. That is is the classic misconception, and I usually don't use the word 
um, when I'm talking to the average person because they, they immediately lose me. Like, what the heck yeah. does that have to do with that? Uh, apocalyptic is based on uh, the Greek word um, apocalypsis, which just means revelation. Um, Paul uses it in, at the beginning of Galatians to say, I had an apocalypsis, you know, um, that yeah. God apocalypsed his son to me. And uh, so what I'm going to be doing is looking at um, Paul's argument in those two chapters, um, how he uses Abraham, how he talks about, you know, uh, the curse of the law, um, Abraham's seed being Christ, um, how he uses uh, pistis, which is usually interpreted faith or faithfulness, um, and basically showing that we can make most sense of what Paul is saying and what he's doing uh, by seeing him as someone who, who who met Jesus and who had a revelation of Jesus Christ, yeah. and what and what Paul is is arguing. Um, orbits around the revelation of, of Jesus Christ. And it, it's, it's all pointing mm-hmm. back towards that. So there's a ton, there's tons of things Paul is not trying to do in that chapter, um, in those two, those two chapters. And that's what a lot of commentaries, you know, tend to focus on some of these other elements and say, well, really it's all about this or this, but, but um, yeah, I'll, I'll be doing, it's called an apocalyptic reading of Galatians three and four. Perfect. Wow. It sounds good. I, I, so I um, I'm a very loosely uh, aware of uh, Louis Martin's work on Galatians, which uh, sounds very similarly linked in, in many ways. Yeah, um, yeah. And of course, Doug Campbell's Deliverance of God is, is his apocalyptic reading of Romans. Um, yeah. And and it does seem to me that this is um, it was actually Michael Harden told told me once he mentioned to me, and and this is the reason I. I tiptoed around Galatians uh, Louis Martin's book um, is because he said he, he considers it to be the most important uh, work of the 21st century. He says that without a shadow of doubt in his opinion it's the most important book written in the last hundred years. Um, and I, I don't take that like he doesn't make extreme statements like that generally <clears throat> speaking he, he's very careful with like this is what I think um, and so I took that very seriously but it, yeah. in my tiptoeing around this topic the ramifications, we talk about scholarly impact of, of new ideas, new concepts, new ways of reading things, um, how that impacts how we approach scripture and then mm. therefore how that impacts our faith. This is one of those topics that could impact our faith in a night and day way, in my understanding. Would, would you agree on that, that kind of thing? This isn't just, uh, you know, like, oh, well, when it says Jesus was at a well and he talked to a woman, what, 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 what age was the woman? You know, like, and people could spend like four years writing a book on like how old the woman was. Yeah. You know, I, I, and I, yeah, yeah. really stupid example, but you know, it's, it's not that kind of like study this area. It, it feels yeah. like it's a huge area. Could you like give a real like sweeping, overgeneralized, way too simplistic um, overview of, of why that's such a big impact on potentially how we frame a lot of our Christianity? Because, because, I'm probably asking you to like just reveal the 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 end kind of like uh, commentary of your your thesis, but <laughs> spoiler. Uh, but 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 I think a lot of people aren't aware of this conversation. They aren't aware that that there's these radically different ways of approaching these texts um, mm. that that generally speaking haven't been engaged with for for the majority of the time that we've been uh, that this faith has, has been on the planet. You know, it just isn't 
hasn't been a way that we've approached these texts necessarily. Maybe you could argue early church were, but yeah, um, certainly if they were, that that interpretation, that approach has been lost. Um, yeah. How, how do you see kind of some of your interpretations um, or your theses kind of working out in the church or the ramifications that they might bring to the church? Yeah, well, first of all, J. Lou Martin's commentary on Galatians, like I'm with you, man. It, I, I quickly, like once I got into this conversation, everyone's pointing back to it and saying like, this is, you know, either the most important work in biblical studies in the last 25 or 50 years. And a lot of people say it's the most important commentary on Galatians in the last century or whatever. And it's like, okay, dang. And even people who disagree with it, they can use the word important. Still recognize the, yeah, the conversation it's bringing to the table. Because it's, exactly, it's changed the conversation on on the book and it's opened people's eyes to a completely different way of approaching it. So, um, yeah, yeah, I'd recommend people getting into that um, if if they're doing any sort of... Not massively accessible though, right? Um, Yeah, fair enough. It is an academic commentary. So people need to know what they're getting into. Like this is, I, I literally just looked at my shot. I've got it right here. It's like- It's red, yeah. Chunk, chunky book and like <laughs> small text and like mostly footnotes, you know, it's like- Yeah. It's not, um, and not only that, it's, it's also got the wonderful price tag of a, an academic book. I think it was like 52 pounds or something, or, you know, like it's like that's $80, $70. So Absolutely. welcome to academia, but- yeah, very, very highly recommended if you're if you're if you're gonna want to tiptoe into this world, great place to start probably. Yeah, if you've got a resource like a a church who's gonna pay for your um your mm. study or whatever, or a or a local academic library, they will have it if it's an academic library. Um, yeah, it's great. and and you can you can do that, but you're right, it's expensive, uh, and and it, it is more dense. So it's just if you if you want to deep dive into Galatians, mm. that is a place. You can't not engage with that voice if you're if you're gonna really do Galatians. Like if you're gonna really do it, you have to have that voice at least in the mix, whether you agree with it or not. Yeah. Um, you got me so excited. I'm like f- completely forgetting your actual question. Oh That's yeah, fine. what's the impact of what yeah. I would be uh, studying? So, um, for Paul. Uh, the idea is that um, nothing in Paul's world is framing or interpreting Christ. So his history is not making sense of, um, and to use a couple academic words, uh, contextualizing or con- or conditioning what's received to him from Christ. Like he's not going, oh yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I know Christ because what I learned from um, Judaism or this or that, which I know is controversial, which I can explain a bit, but Christ comes and this is the definitive revelation of God. And um, this is now at the center of what Paul knows. It's, it's, it's definitely an epistemological impact in his world. Mm. Um, And now everything in his world now uh, orbits around this revelation of Christ and makes sense uh, in light of Christ. So everything uh, Jewish in his world was not, it wasn't dropped. 
it wasn't put aside. You can even leave the word conversion aside if, if you don't like that. Um, but it definitely now uh, makes sense having seen Christ. Like it, it mm-hmm. definitely needs to go in that order for Paul. So everything, everything now passes through that, which is why he can say neither Jew nor Greek, male nor female. It's not that these things, these, these identifiers are negative or need to be dropped, but they're put in their proper place as after being in Christ as mm-hmm. the, as the, the top uh, supreme location for us. Sure. You can be a Jew or Gentile, but these things uh, aren't our, our dominant, um, I, our dominant identity. Sure. And so I think um, when you look at what Paul's doing with scripture, um, how he quotes Abraham, it's, it's amazing. He says, well, he doesn't quote Abraham, but he quotes Genesis and he's, and he, and he says, okay, when it says uh, that um, it was to Abraham's sperma, which is the Greek word uh, for like his descendants or, you know, his, his sons or whatever. He says, oh, it's not plural. It's not seeds. It's seed. Um, but you, you go back and it's absolutely a collective plural. Like yeah. that's in Genesis, yeah. plural. And so Paul is not misremembering. <laughs> And Paul is not um, uh, changing things or, or trying to kind of skirt around it to make a point. And, and, and um, he's not hoping people won't check the text after this. He's showing you how these things now uh, bend and, and, and they, they pass through Christ. Like he, he's, he's showing us the dominance of, of the revelation of Christ and how scripture now must come through Christ. He can look mm-hmm. back and say, well, this is the true seed. Um, and, and we see the impact uh, of the revelation of Christ on Paul. Um, and he starts just doing crazy things and saying, he, he talks about scripture and it's this, the Greek word graphe and how it, um, how it was um, foreseeing and prophesying to Abraham about what Christ would do in the future with the Gentiles. So he's, he's saying graphe, which is the Greek word for like written text. So it is actual writing. So he is talking about actual written scripture. He's saying that prophesied to Abraham, prophesied to Abraham, which is before its existence. It hasn't been written. Like there's no law. There's nothing. There's no Israel yet. Yeah. Somehow this is like transcending time and doing Christ's bidding by like preaching the gospel ahead of time, seeing. So all these different elements are, are, are animated in this unique way of him saying, like, if we have seen Christ, like I've seen Christ, Christ was publicly p- p- portrayed to you. You have the spirit of Christ doing stuff in your midst. Mm. You're in Christ. Um, he, you know, you've been clothed in Christ and baptized. All this language is in, in chapters three and four. And so I think um, how it lands for us is like, well, we need to be rereading our, our Old Testament in light of having seen Jesus, and wow. it must pass through that. And if and if if someone is trying to use Abraham to uh, get us to, you know, wh- whatever the modern day equivalent would be, circumcision, <laughs> like trying to do something that's that's going to 
um, walk us away from our position of just knowing where we're in Christ, then Paul goes, okay, well, let's just talk Abraham. And then he just runs it all through Christ and makes it about Christ. Um, I think it, I think we need to, to read scripture with that hermeneutic, mm-hmm. that lens, and that's going to play out big time for us. And then I think just for me, it's been a challenge of seeing how Paul's whole world and his whole outlook has been dramatically impacted by Christ. And like, mm-hmm. and I just, I find myself sometimes asking myself like, all right, is my whole world uh, impacted in the way I'm proposing Paul's was mm. and in the way I'm arguing is evident in what he writes? Like, is it, you know, is Christ at the epistemological center for, for me as well? Is, do, does what I know now begin in that revelation and work outwards from there? Or is, you know, is, um, you know, Christ at moments, kind of an addendum to my current life so sure. i think seeing how it's all consuming for for paul and, and how it fits in his world i think it's just a challenge for us it's going wow this is this is a big deal for him and this this turned his world upside down um and it i mean i think it if it's if it, if it hasn't had that impact on my life i should probably check what's what's, what's going mm. on yeah it feels like i mean this is a huge one i think um I don't know if you've read Derek Flood's Disarming Scripture. It's a fantastic book. Um, but he uh, he captured this really well, where he just he kind of went through so much of the, the New Testament writers and just said, let's look at how they quote the Old Testament. Well, let's just look at when they quote the Old Testament. But like, look here, they quote this psalm, and it's like, you know, it starts like with one passage a bit, and then afterwards it says like, you know, it, it was like, God will um, select these people to completely destroy them for his pleasure. And then he's like, and then look at Paul. He just said, God will select these people for his pleasure. He just took out the bit where they, God destroys them. And it's like, that's how Paul read that passage in the Psalms. Like, what the hell? You know, and, and, and he just does this with the passage after passage. And you're like, yeah, what the hell? Like you, you start to realize like, because mm. we're, we're programmed as, as good kind of Protestant Christians that well, the, uh, the Bible says kind of flat, playing fields and every passage you just pick that passage out it's the word of god and you pick from there that's the word of god and you pick from here that's the word of god and it's all the word of god and we have to appreciate and value every single word evenly and appropriately and and you know and mm. it's 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 very devoid of a context that is through the lens of jesus that has a hermeneutic that says okay yes but knowing what we know about god through jesus if jesus reveals god can we see God in that moment? Mm. You know, because uh, generally yeah, yeah. speaking, a lot of time you're like, Paul's like, no, not in that bit of the sentence. So I'll just take it out. And I'm like, whoa, what's happening here? It's a, it's a really good uh, book at exploring that kind of uh, concept. But to me, I mean, obviously that's a great example. Violence and wrath is, is quite an obvious thing that's hard. It's possible for people to kind of angle Jesus a little bit to include some of that. But on the whole, he was very anti uh, violence and and and, uh, and wrathful action is certainly along the human side of things, um, and so just that alone has huge yeah. ramifications, in my opinion, for Christianity. But then you go, okay, what else did Jesus say that felt somewhat different to the general narrative of the Old Testament? Holy crap! There's a lot of topics here 
Um, yeah. And so it feels like this isn't, it's not a, it's not a, a small bit of scripture that is like, you know, it's not just that you're looking at Galatians three and four and going, Oh, I'm looking at Galatians three and four. And what can we learn from Galatians three and four that will change our lives? You're, you're kind of yeah. almost going, oh, I'm looking at Galatians three and four and guess what? The entire Bible needs to be reread. You're wrong. Like, you know, it's, it's a big conclusion that kind of shifts. Sure. Um, yeah, I know. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really interesting. Do, do you know of anyone that's um, written at quite an accessible level about this topic? You know, you've got like things like Deliverance from God and, and J. Lou uh, Martin. I, I think actually I do agree that it's, it's not too bad, actually, but it's, it's a lot. Um, do, you, mm. do you know of anyone that's doing work in this area? I know that um, Doug Campbell is working on something, but like you said. Yeah, uh, good question. Um, you don't have to have an answer if you don't know. <laughs> it's okay. Well, well, uh, Torrance, um, okay. he's, you know, he's behind, so he's a theologian and, and less of a biblical scholar. Um, and he, you know, he's, his theology is incredibly apocalyptic and he's, mm. I mean, he, you know, Campbell admits often like he, you know, Torrance got me into this and it's Torrance's dad or his, his uncle's, um, uh, articles that, that suddenly exposed me to, um, a contractual versus participatory gospel. Um, mm. and it, 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 and it just snowballed for, for Campbell into the deliverance of God. It's kind of the, yeah. the, the snowball led there. Um, so yeah, Torrance. And then, um, so again, this is one of those problems of reading narrowly within your topic um that i'm i'm not reading a ton of approachable stuff around different areas but i but i know um beverly gaventa uh she wrote a book called uh, when in romans and it's it's a more approachable look at romans um and she's an apocalyptic um pauline scholar um, and that that one is, I think, it's really readable. I actually have a copy. Um, is this the person you recommended I should get on the podcast? You you mentioned someone I should. I did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I recommended her. Yep, she okay. was one of them. Um, I need to try and get hold of her. Yeah, she's she's amazing. Cool. Um, yeah, and I'll have to be thinking. Um, but I think there needs to be more. Yeah. Because you've got Lou Martin, who you know he came and went and he, he didn't write anything popular level but that I know of other than maybe a couple articles. And then there's Mar Martinus De Boer who he's still around, but it's still, I think pretty much just all academic yeah. stuff. And then there's Gaventa Campbell and my supervisor, Chris Tilling. Mm. Um, but again, it's, it's yeah. all ultra academic stuff. Yeah. And this is the thing. It's such, it feels like it's still very new this this whole kind of topic on the whole is quite new and, and it will be very academic on the whole initially um so I, I think that that's not to say anything negative of people that are doing the hard academic work they don't have time to be going oh let me like also write an entire book on the side that's more accessible like they're doing some incredible work as well and so yeah um but yeah no it's 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 cool that there are people doing that but uh and i yeah. should mention uh, just to cover my bases, that I'm only listing <clears throat> English-speaking scholars, uh, but a, a, you know the apocalyptic um, reading did not start in the UK mm. or the States. It's Germany, Germany, really, with like Ernst Kaysman, uh, Rudolf Boltzmann, um, 
and a, a couple of these um, great figures. And then it slowly made its way over to, to, to English speakers. But I think, yeah, it's, it's new-ish within the past um, 120 years, yeah. um, uh, which is very new in terms of church, church history. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Wow. Dude, this has been really good. I, I've, like, yeah, I'm just fascinated by this whole world. I'm, I'm fascinated by, uh, by the world of academia, of studying, of, of going deep way more than most of us ever get to go. Um, and I love that that's something that you're doing. I love that, that I get to chat to you and like feed on that and pull it all out. Um, and so we'll definitely, we'll have to get you on again to, to talk about more, uh, beautiful Pauline stuff, especially as you keep going deeper, you'll, you'll have more and more, I'm sure. Um, that's, that's, yeah. that's the hope that that's the idea. So I better next, next time we talk. Yeah. I mean, no pressure. Talk about external pressure again, right? Exactly. You get a date for the this. next podcast. And you're like, crap, I need to come up with something profound now. And <laughs> a new exactly. Exactly. So if people want to um, track with you and follow what you're doing, you're one of the new generation academics. You're going to be super cool. You're going to be like on Instagram and, you know, have all these like great ways for people to engage with theology. How can I do that? Again, yeah, I mean, <laughs> theology on TikTok. Yeah. Dudes, no, uh, I know. <laughs> Not there yet. Um, yeah, so I created, uh, one account that, um, I honestly, I made it because my supervisor, my, my PhD supervisor recommended like, Hey, um, you need to find some sort of outlet to have to communicate what you're learning. Otherwise you'll be in this little, you know, insular echo chamber where you're, you're thinking it makes sense in your head. And you're yeah. not really talking to any, anyone about it. And you're going to like learn way more if you have to articulate it. And then have people question you and say, I don't understand that. And you're like, you don't, you know, and then you, you have to really work it out. So um, he recommended a blog and I'm like, nope, that's so much work. Uh, I, I don't do that, but I, I do know the world of Instagram decently well. So uh, I made a, an Instagram account that I um, just try and post bits of what I'm learning and I, you know, try and teach people, um, academic words on occasion and uh, different ways to approach topics and stuff. Uh, you'll, you'll have to spell it in the notes or something, but I'm going to have to spell it right. Cause this is a exactly. recurring joke, right? Uh, and you know what? It's so funny because I mean, how many years have I known you? I know that your name is pronounced Nash, but it's yeah. spelled noosh. <laughs> and the, but it's funny yeah. because when you started this uh, Instagram account, I literally read it nutionality and it's only yeah, yeah. like literally it was like a month or two later that i was suddenly like wait that's not his name no it's nash and i was like nash and i, I was like that's crazy but like i had this like aha moment that was like a month and a half late so uh yeah absolutely i know so i'll, so I'll make sure that's in the show notes but go spell yeah, that so just called, for people right now it's called uh yeah so it's called nationalism which is uh, also a nod to kind of some of my um evolution on uh loyalty to christ versus nation as well so it's, it's a kind of a, a deep level joke there for my friends who know me uh yeah so nationalism and honestly that's it so you can wait and in Excellent. like 2020 2023 you can read my dissertation if it gets passed there you go and your tiktok would be live by then as well probably absolutely i'll, I'll be viral once once i have everyone moves off of instagram onto tiktok yeah exactly <laughs> oh, I Dude, it was great having you on, man. I really enjoyed it. 
really really great chatting with you man we did yeah. we didn't get into all of our uh our stories and our, our antics dude we have such a history oh. that's definitely gonna have to be part two there, there should be a whole separate podcast where they're telling ridiculous stories um man I, I can't even begin to think of half of them i what was yeah yeah I know this is this spent is too much. So many hours in coffee shops, <laughs> like so many. So you won a year, a year's free coffee, right? At one of the coffee Absolutely. shops. Absolutely. We, yeah. we were in there so long. I bought a one dollar raffle ticket and I won free coffee for a year. You could go in every day and get the biggest coffee you wanted for free. And so uh, I took them up on that. Yeah, and I followed you. I sat at the next. You were there room. most yeah. of the time with me. Yeah, that was good. It's good Crazy. Times. Yeah. Oh man. Very, very good times. Man. Well, thanks for having me on. It's been awesome. I'm, I'm loving your wallpaper. Uh, it's it's going to go soon. You know, fantastic. once, once the pandemic kind of eases and we maybe get access to things like paint, um, it'll probably mm. go. I think I'm going to decorate in here at some point. The, the bigger issue that is the, fl the floor. There's a hole in the floor. The floorboard's like broken and that's been for about nine months, basically pretty much since we moved in. So probably actually closer to a year. Um, and so mm. one day I just kind of went through the floorboard and I was like, Oh, there you go. And it's right there where one of my legs of my chair goes. Um, oh, gosh. So it's, it's a bit sketchy. So I'm less worried about wallpaper and more worried about falling through into the kitchen. Um, it's a big deal. A possibility, which would make for an amazing visual podcast moment. If like, what would you have done if just, <laughs> just straight oh, down be to amazing. the floor? <laughs> like, it'd be amazing. <laughs> So who knows? Maybe I'll not fix the floor just so that happens at some point. Um, Please do it. Cool. Well, give my love to um, Kezia and the rest of the family. Yeah, um, absolutely. I can't we'll believe do. you guys are all crammed in. Oh man, I I, I would go insane. I I, I would. I, I'm I'm already insane, and I'm like living with one person right now. Um, We're full house. It's crazy. Yeah. The the thing of like, it's got to be an introvert psychological thing because. This was my life beforehand. Nothing's really changed. I was constantly in the same house. My wife was working from home. We were in, but suddenly there's a thing of like, you're not allowed out. And suddenly I'm like, I feel very claustrophobic stuck in a house with my wife all the time. I need yeah. some escape. Um, I went for like a two hour walk yesterday. <laughs> I walked like, I think I like 11K or something. Um, That's amazing. Pretty, uh, good walk. Got some blisters for that. But yeah. But dude, we, we should have a, another chat at some point. Um, Sounds great. Maybe, once all the zooms wear off and life's a bit more normal. Um, but yeah. And if you and Kezia ever want to come up to Manchester, hang out, you're welcome to. We so, got to do it. Yeah. We're only two hours away. So. Oh, you're right. Well, not really though. Cause you've got to get to London and then got to get to me from Manchester, but it, yeah, that bit is two hours. It's true. I and mean, everything in England is close compared to, to us proportions. Yeah. Yeah. So. We've done much worse. Did we drive to Texas at one point? Yeah. Do you remember you that? Drove. Yes, that's another story. The truck exploded while yeah. we were driving. Dude. On the middle that's of the right. road, and out of nowhere. And then we didn't go to Texas. <laughs> no, no my dad met us halfway. I don't remember going to Texas, but I remember going to Texas. Yeah, we stopped in like Arizona or something. Yeah. Yep. Dude, good times. Yeah. We, we should definitely have a chat where we like reminisce on these crazy stories. I know. Uh, I love it. Well, love you, man. It was good to chat. Love you too. Thanks for having me. All right. That was Jared Nash. I loved uh, Jared's different uh, perspectives that he brings to the table, his his uh, level-headed approach of, uh, of looking at things um, that 
generally speaking, only scholars bring to the table. They, they have a, a beautiful way of approaching the world and realizing that things are so much more complex and so much bigger than we are um, and our limited perspectives can fully grasp. And so if you want to follow Jared on Instagram, you can follow his Insta handle is uh, nationalism uh, with Nash spelt uh, N-E-U-S-C-H. Um, just how you pronounce uh, his name, Jared Nash. Um, and so I'll put the links in the show notes as well. I know that's a, a tricky one, that one to spell. So it's in the show notes if you need it. Um, and I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you'll uh, come back for more great podcasts we've got coming out. We're doing two a week now. I don't know if you've realized by now we're doing, we're bashing out a fair few of these. Um, and so I've got some great guests uh, coming up. I've had some amazing guests. If you're new to the podcast, go back and check out some of the amazing ones we've had. Um, you can go watch the podcast over on YouTube or at the Grace Course. You can support what I'm doing at the Grace Course. And uh, if you're deconstructing and would love to um, connect with other people that are deconstructing, you can check out thedeconstructionnetwork.com as well. We're doing great research on people that are deconstructing and trying to change the narrative around that uh, group of people, but also helping people that are deconstructing find other people in their area so that they might potentially... Um, be able to have community again. People that are going through and have gone through some of the same things. Um, there's few things like having someone to um, just laugh with, cry with, know uh, in person. A lot of us have got those communities now online, but we miss the, the local community of uh, people that um, believe similar things, have similar faith journeys at least. Um, and, and so that's uh, a beautiful way for you to potentially um, look into finding some of those relationships. Anyway, I'll catch you uh, later in the week for another podcast. Have a good one.